0: So uh this morning I want to talk about burning the house down. this uh worship crew, I'm about to drink one of y'all's water, I think, but I can't find mine. That's y'all's. I think one of these is mine. I'm just but I'm just <laughs> taking a guess. So, Lord bless this one. It's blessed. Um you know, um, if you've ever, you know, been around a bonfire or Jessica, she she grew up on a farm and they used to burn fields so that you could, it actually would help enrich the soil. So you could plant uh, a different crop, crop or the same crop, uh, forest undergo control burns. And so a lot of ways Out of the fire comes new life, and you know I was thinking about people in Southern California, Northern California, that have lost their homes to the wildfires, and that they've just got to start. They've got to start completely over. They can't go back to that old house like it's gone. They could even try to rebuild a new house exactly like the old one, but it's just never, never the same. And so fire has that way of, of consuming things. And you know, whenever, uh, one of the things I did remember from high school and middle school physical science was when you burn wood, it actually, the chemical, uh, the atomic structure of that wood actually changes. So ash isn't wood. It's, it's a different substance. And so the fire of God is, is like that in our lives and where it, we, we change from one form to another. We change from the old man into the new man into Christ. And, uh, you know, I was, how many of y'all were here last week when Hal Farnsworth preached? So one of the things that I remember from Hal's message, that was just a really, really good uh, insight, good, good note, was that he said you can divide the Bible up into two sections, Genesis 1 through 3 and the rest of the Bible. How many of y'all were expecting, you know, Old, old Covenant, New Covenant? But what happened in the garden, well, there was only, so God gave one rule in a perfect environment. He gave one, one law to obey in a perfect environment. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what was the consequence if they ate from that tree? So the serpent said, you will become like God, but weren't they already like God? They're created in his image. And so that was the deception, but but the, what divides Genesis one through three from the rest of the Bible is that one law, God was always, it was always meant to be to uh, reinforce the fact that he's God and we're not. So they weren't to eat from the tri- tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Cause only that's only for the Lord. And then the rest of the Bible, and then you get the 10 commandments after that. And what were the 10 commandments purpose was to show you, to show me, to show us he's God and we're not. We can't keep the commandments. We're not holy. <laughs> it's to show us our need for a savior. And one of the things that, especially when we went street preaching uh, a few weeks ago, one thing that happens when you, when you share the gospel. So Re, um, Romans 1:16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the salvation of God unto men, and then it, first for the Jew, then the Gentile, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So when you preach the gospel, and this is why Jesus said that they they, people will hate me, and if you follow me, they're gonna hate you because they hate me. But what happens is when you, when you share the gospel is that it reveals our need. It actually reveals, reveals the weight of sin. And so Romans 8.1 says there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But what about for those outside of Christ Jesus? What about when you hear the gospel and you're outside of Jesus? What do you feel? How many of y'all, when y'all got saved? I know when I got saved, I, I, one of the things I felt was, I was like, I'm guilty. <laughs> I've got sin." and that is the verdict of sin. But what but what God's offering us is like come to Christ, get the condemnation removed, get the guilt removed, get the weight of sin removed. But people there's there's so there's usually Jesus is very he says I didn't come to draw, bring peace but a sword. And so when Jesus when you when the gospel comes, you've got two decisions, options basically. You can refuse or accept it, but there's no like I oh, just it's just like, yeah, that doesn't have any bearing on my life. And so so part of what we experience is whenever I just before the service, I just felt like I needed to share this, but whenever um, people so when we were street preaching, we had people smirking and a little bit of mocking, not too much. But what does the mocking do? What does the smirking do? Is it discredits it's an attempt to discredit the discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it does. It's, it, you're trying to discredit because what they're feeling is like the gospel. They're feeling the weight of sin, and Jesus is offering a way out. That's 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 what he came to do: to save men. But part of what the mocking does, if they don't want to leave that life, then you have to discredit that voice, so you don't feel guilty. Does that make sense and so the gospel it, it doesn't return void it doesn't return void it, people are making decisions in their hearts or vocally or whatever it is and so um, but the thing is jesus it's, what are you going to do with that weight are you going to give it to jesus or are you going to try to keep living up under it fernando of lobos actually I believe it may have been his wife laura she said the only condemning thing is to not go to the cross. (laughs) Like when you go to the cross, Jesus takes the condemnation. He takes the shame. But I want to talk about burning the house down, you know, and part of uh, what the gospel does is it brings the fire of God. And in the Old Testament, what they did to idols that they were worshiping aside from, from the Lord is when they repented, they were actually burned the idols. Now, sometimes these idols were costly. They may have been made of gold. They may have been, you know, made of precious wood and took time and and, and labor and effort to to make these things. But these idols could have been costly, but they burned them down. And there was a time in my life where uh, high school through college where I wasn't living for the Lord, and... I woke up one morning. This was Jessica and I's first year of marriage, and I was I was battling some some things. I was actually battling uh, just pornographic dreams, but I wasn't in pornography. The Lord had delivered me from that. But it was uh, it was the consequence of year of seventeen years from the age of or fifteen, whatever the math is, from the age of seven to twenty three, looking at porn, and um, and so. First step was to, to tell Jessica whenever I had these pornographic dreams and have her pray for me. And then the second step was what I'm about to tell you. I woke up one morning and the Lord said, you have idols in your house. And I said, okay. And I said, what, what are the idols? He said, oh, there's pictures from college that you have. So I had pictures from college where I'm just like partying and lots of lewd behavior caught on these pictures. And uh, I said, what do you want me to do? He said, burn them. And so I took a tin wash tub. And I, had, I had a big old album of college pictures. Lighter fluid, set it on fire. Lost a lot of pictures, but that was my old life. So, I mean, there was no, no need to go back to that anymore so i burned those pictures up and that helped break off where um as far as the amount of, of times i was i was having these dreams it, it dramatically reduced and it was just this, this process of not only being delivered from it but having having my mind cleansed from all those all those years and so <clears throat> I want to talk about repentance and what repentance means. You know, the traditional understanding of repent means, you know, like to return or to turn about. You know, sometimes you'll hear preachers say, you do a 360 turn. You don't want to do that because you just end up heading in the same direction. You want, to, you want to do a 180 degree turn. You know, you turn away and you go in the other direction. And that's true. That's true. But we want to look at a couple of Hebrew words for the word re- for repent and Hebrew is a fascinating language because each letter has an, a picture and a story almost within the letter. And so we're, look, we're gonna look at the imagery of actually um, the words. So the, the, the letters of, in Hebrew actually are like, they're like pictures themselves. Oh, I went back. And so the first, instance of repentance in the Bible was in Genesis 6 and it says and it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repenteth me that I have made them. Regret, sorry has also been some of the translations for that. So the first word is called shuv and When you, if you were to look in a concordance, it would say return or turn back, but we're gonna look at what the imagery of this word is. So this first uh, letter, and Hebrew goes from right to left. So we start on the right side. So this first word is the letter, excuse me, the first letter is the letter sheen. And this is the picture of teeth. So within this image, it means to consume, to press, to destroy. The second letter, is the letter bet, which is a picture of a house or a tent, okay? And so what is, what is the imagery speaking to us about, about repentance? Repentance is to burn or destroy the place you're living in and turn around and leave. Think about that, when you repented, when you gave your life to the Lord, you burned that old house down. You burn that old life down because you said, I'm gonna follow Jesus. And so it means like you're burning it down to a place where I'm not gonna return there. What did Jesus do? Well, let me back up. So when when Jesus died and was resurrected, what did the disciples do? They went back to what? Fishing. They went back to their old life, but they couldn't catch anything. They were bad fishermen now. And then, but Jesus in that place of them trying to go back, Jesus, he's essentially saying, listen, there's not a house there anymore. That's been burned down. And Jesus is on the shore. He's making them breakfast. John sees them. Peter sees them. They they jump out of the boat. And Jesus has breakfast with them on the beach, which when you have a meal with somebody, it's saying, I forgive you. And that, in the Middle Eastern culture, And so this first word means to burn or destroy the place you're living in and turn around and leave. Isn't that a little bit more descriptive of to turn around, to turn back. It's not just turning around. It means I'm burning the house down. I'm burning the old life down. So this means that habits, routines, lifestyles, investments have all changed. Where you spend your time, where you spend your money, where you spend your energy, it changes. How many of you, whenever you gave your life to the Lord, you couldn't hang out with the same crowd that you used to hang out with? (laughs) So it means sometimes you gotta like, there's some relationships that have to change. Now for me, all my buddies in college were smoking weed and didn't know the Lord. I still kept a relationship with them, but I wasn't in that place of uh, opening my heart to them and, and uh, to the things that they were into, if that makes sense. I only showed up, I would go to a party every now and then just to stay connected with them. And then I, and Jessica went with me and I said, don't eat the brownies. Because she was like, oh, she went, ooh, brownies. And I was like, don't eat them. Don't eat them. So you're attached to the world no longer. You're, you're now attached to the kingdom of God. So re, true repentance means you're just cutting off all the ties to the world. You, you have no attachments. And so does this mean like we live ascetic lifestyles where we, you know, some of the old church fathers of the day, they would build towers and live in these towers and fast for days and days and days and just have no, I mean, that was their idea of no attachments to the world. But you also can't be in the world. And so we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And so, you know, having things, having, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. You can own these things, but these things can't own you. And so the old life is char and ashes, it's death. To return back to your old life, it just means you're returning back to death. I can't imagine going back to the way I lived in college, the way I thought. I mean the jokes. I mean I remember people. I you know I was known as a jokester, still am in some ways. But so some of my old friends would come tell me a, a joke, dirty joke, and I just I wouldn't laugh. And they were like, and some some of them would get a little offended at that. But I'm just like, hey man, is this, this isn't funny to me anymore. <laughs> and so. It's totally okay. You don't have to laugh. You don't have to laugh at their jokes to make them feel loved. Um, so repentance means you can't go back to death and ruins. Remember Lot's wife. Jesus said that, remember Lot's wife. She looked back at her old life. So if you don't know this story, Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be burned. Lot and his wife and family were in there, and Jesus sent angels saying, get out. It's about to, that city's about to be burned. And so they're running for the hills, and Lot's thinking like, I had a really good life back there. And then she turns into a pillar of salt. She, she was longing for the things of the world. You can Longing for this old life where God's calling her to, is like, this is where life is. Looking forward, heading where I'm going. And so... Repentance means we burn down the old house not because uh, because we have a new house and new rooms being prepared for us. Jesus said in John 14, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms, and I've gone to prepare a place for you. So we have a new house to go to. We have a new house to run to. So repentance means this. It's just like in Matthew 4. I don't know if people think of this as repentance, but... I did when I was, I was writing this sermon. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. That's a picture of repentance. They just went their, whole, their old life, the fishing life, their family. I mean, their dad was probably looking at them to, to take over the family business. They're like, where are you going? Every good son took over the family business, and so they're even willing to risk—they're willing to risk reputation, uh, misunderstanding—and they saw Jesus. They—they they recognized this man might be the Messiah, and they just—they—they they left everything. And they were, that was—that's a repentance because essentially they're like the old life is done away with. Godly sorrow. This is from the Passion Translation. And so repentance, like godly sorrow is a gift. You can't conjure it up. <laughs> That's why it's called godly sorrow. <laughs> and so the Holy Spirit, I, I, I love it when the Lord gives me godly sorrow because I know, like, he's doing a good work in, on the inside of me. He's making me more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about godly sorrow. It says, "Paul, this is Paul speaking, he says, now I'm overjoyed. Not because I made you sad, but because your grief led you to deep repentance. You experienced godly sorrow, and as God intended, it brought about gain for you, not loss, so that no harm has been done by us. So what does godly sorrow do? It brings you gain, not loss. God designed us to feel remorse over sin in order to produce repentance that leads to victory. This leaves us with no regrets, but the sorrow of the world works death. And so you have what's called, the worldly sorrow is what's called Saulish repentance where you're like, man, God, I'm sorry you caught me doing that. I just thought it was a good idea. You know, God told him to, he he, he, uh, defeated this city or overtook this city and God said, destroy everything and then Saul thought it was a good idea. He's like, I want to keep, like, the nice sheep and some of the good livestock, and I'm going to offer it as a sacrifice to the Lord. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that look, like, really good and be, make God really happy? But God rebuked Saul and said, you, why did you not obey me? I told you to destroy everything. And then the Old Testament says that God desires obedience above sacrifice. So just do what the Lord tells you to do and don't try to tweak it. How many, how many of y'all have been guilty of tweaking the word of the Lord? Yeah, we, are, we all do that. <laughs> it's like, all right, Lord, I'll do that. But, yeah, I'll, I'm going to add, I'm going to soften it up or whatever. Just do what the Lord tells you to do. So repentance in Greek means to change your mind. But oftentimes sorrow is what will cause us to change our mind. So that's why it's a gift. And so godly sorrow is cleansing because it's accompanied by the fear of the Lord. Now Psalm 19 says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So what the fear of the Lord does is it brings you a clean conscience because you're, you're keeping, uh, you're not holding on to bitterness, you're not holding on to unforgiveness, you're not hide, trying to hide things from the Lord. You, you you fear the Lord, and you bring things to Him, and, and Godly—that's why Godly sorrow is cleansing. the times I've, the Lord's worked in me, where I've I've been forgiving people that have hurt me, or I've been uh, repenting of sin, or whatever, and, and Godly sorrow hits. I just feel like I took—I just took a bath. Whenever I walked down the aisle to marry Jessica, I felt like a virgin, even though I wasn't. I had sex uh, with multiple partners before I met Jessica but when I but I had repented i had given my life to the Lord and then when I uh, met Jessica we kept from any kind of sexual immorality we actually ended up repenting for for kissing because it was leading us we felt the pull too strong I know that might offend some of y'all it's all right but we I want to go ahead and say this if you're kissing what's the purpose of it if you can't have sex what's the purpose of it so I'm, I'm just saying as a word of wisdom don't even open up that door you'll have lots of years i'm saying this if you're dating or you're engaged it's my personal opinion why not why open that door why open that door because you're going to get lots of time to smooch and snuggle and have sex. All right, sir. So. The second word is, I forgot how to pronounce it, nasham. But to, uh, to re- so you, you look it up in the concordance, it means to regret or be sorry. Again, so starting from right to left, the first letter is noon, and it means it's, Its picture is life or activity. Actually, I'm sorry, you start with the yod. A mighty deed, a divine purpose, then you go to noon, life and activity. Chet, a private place of protection, a garden, sanctuary. And then mem, waters that provide life, the word of God that is the living water. So what are we gonna do, What's what's it gonna look like when we combine all these letters? So you, you, God is doing a mighty work, noon, that will work to bring about life. Chet, the life is invited to seek, that life is invited to seek a place of refuge as has been provided graciously by God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mem, that life will be nurtured and sustained by the living water that comes forth from the living word. So to paraphrase, God is inviting his children to come home. (laughs) that's what that word repent means come home burn that house down and come home burn the old house down and come home to your new home that's with the father it's the story of the prodigal son so your identity your lifestyle is the house of God First Corinthians chapter three says that no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it's to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work, which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you're, a temple, of, you're the, a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. So our identity, our lifestyle is the house of God. We are the temple of God. And many times we try to build identity instead of just receiving our identity from the Lord. And, and you know, we try to, uh, the, the things, that, the conundrum about building your identity is it's often man-based, <laughs> which is very conditional. The love of, the, the, the love of man is very conditional. <laughs> And so if you're building your reputation off of, uh, I mean, think about this, you know, there's been athletes who have been, you know, 13, 14 years they're in the sport and they're, they're praised, they're idolized. And then maybe they have one mistake and they're like, get him out of here. And he gets kicked to the curb or they just forget about you. So it's the praise of man, the love of man is, is very conditional. It's, the Bible says it's a snare. And so if you're building your identity based upon achievements, upon accolades, upon accomplishments, none of those things are wrong. Like I said, just like not ha- having things is not wrong. But do those things have you? That's, that's the question. So God's got a new home that he's built for us. And it's not based upon man. It's not a house that man can build. It's not a house that you can build. Hebrews chapter 3 says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house is more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. To testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence in our boasting and our hope. What's the difference between a servant and a son when it comes to protecting? The son's going to lay down his life for what is the family's, the servant may tuck tail and run. I'm not saying Moses did that, but I'm just saying that's the difference between a servant and a son. The son's going to stay there and he's going to lay down his life. He's going he's to die if necessary to protect what is his family's. And that's what Jesus did. He laid down his life to protect the father's family, to make sure that they, that they would come home, that we would come home. I don't know why that's so small. But. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him on, of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Think about this. So Abraham was a, a fluent man where he was originally from, from the land of Ur. And he left all that and because why, what does the scripture say? He was looking to a city whose foundations and builder is God. He wasn't looking to a city that man had built. He was looking to a city that's foundations and builder was God. And that's what we look forward to. We're not, we this is, we live from an eternal perspective. You have 80 plus years on the timeline of eternity and you can't even see that dot from everlasting to everlasting you can't even see that that's that's the that's the speck of our life and the continuum of of time and so we we live we are eternal beings and we live from that perspective and so repentance ultimately is not behavior modification is sin eradication if you have a bad root, there's gonna be bad fruit and that will grow up in any kind of soil you try to cover it up with. You can't modify sin, you've got to nail it to the cross because it will work death in you. It says, he who sows to the flesh will reap destruction, he who sows to the spirit will reap life. And so repentance is not behavior modification, it's sin eradication. One of the ways you, you use the cross, you use the cross in your prayer life. You say, God, I, I see this jealousy. I see this envy in me. I see this lust, whatever it is. I see the, uh, you know, the, that my heart wanders, Lord. Bring it to the cross. Bring that wandering to the cross. Bring that envy, that jealousy, the death on the cross and resurrect the life of Jesus within me. Use the cross in your prayer life. Because what it does is it, it, it brings you back to what Jesus has done. It brings you back to what he has is, he is risen and you have resurrection life. You're not forced to live under that old man anymore. But you call things what they are. You, become, you get honest with the Lord. You have a humble heart and we all could use more humility in our, in our life because what humility does is it goes back to Genesis one through three, you're God and I'm not. <laughs> That's what it all boils down to. All the commandments of God, you're the Lord and I'm not. What, what did, what was the end of Job about? Remember God said, Job, brace yourself like a man. And I will show myself to you. Job, did you tell the, the waves to stop here? Surely you were there at the beginning when I formed the sky. Do you call forth the eagle from its nest? Do you awaken the bear and her cub? Surely you know these things. So could you, God goes on for three chapters telling Job everything that he does that Job can't do. And Job has the best response you can have. He says, I should have been quiet. (laughs) I repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord's like, Job, I love you. Here's a double portion. (laughs) Isn't that merciful of the Lord? And how merciful is that of God where Job's, he's railing on the Lord because he's all these hardships, which are horrible. But Satan, that was at the hand of Satan. And so these, he's railing on the Lord. All of his counselors are saying, Job, you had to have done something wrong. And he's like, I didn't do anything wrong. And he didn't. He was, it's, sometimes bad things happen to good people. And at the end of it, he's railing against the Lord. I've done everything. I've given my alms. You know, the dying person that held them in my arms while they died, the, uh, you know, I was generous. He just goes on and on listing all these things of what he's done for the Lord. And the Lord said, Joe, brace yourself like a man. And and, then we get to where I just talked about. But God is so merciful. He is so merciful, but we do have to understand that the wages of sin is death, that, that we've, outside of Christ, there is, there is condemnation. It says the enemy's been judged. In the New Testament, it talks about those outside of Jesus, they're, they're under condemnation. And so the only way to get out from that is to get into Christ. And that's why the world, they mock, they try to discredit the gospel because they don't want to feel the weight of their sin but all they because they don't want to give their lives to God. And they ultimately, they don't want to say, you're God and I'm not. They want to be their, their own God. We've all done that. We still try to do that sometimes.